says verse 6 for I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure is at hand I have fought the good fight I have finished the race I have kept the faith finally there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord the righteous judge will give to me on that day and not only to me but also to all who have loved his appearing and father we humbly ask now as we continue in this time of worship by opening the word of God looking and longing Lord for you to speak to us in a personal and a direct way by your spirit's ministry through your holy word we ask prepare us accordingly and Lord may we hear the voice of your spirit conveying to our heart and soul and mind what it is that we need to hear from your throne this morning Speak to us, Lord. Bless your word. Give us an ear to hear and a heart to receive. And we ask this expectantly in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You know, I think it's fair and adequate to say that until a person has prepared themselves to die, that they really honestly don't know how to live best. Let me say that again. Until you have prepared yourself to die, you really honestly don't know how to really best live. That is an important truth. It is having a right and biblical view of physical death, which will come. There's no way of any one of us avoiding it. And it's right to have a, a good view of eternity and the eternal dimension. And it's your perspective of that when it becomes correct of death and eternity that then your perspective is properly set really for then how you should live your life how you should spend your time while you're on this planet whatever those number of days may be we notice in this text that Paul the apostle was at peace with his approaching death Paul could sense that the time of his departure from this earth and his entrance into the eternal dimension was very close and because he lived in a way whereby he lived in light of his departure and his death, Paul knew how to live right. And that's why he's at peace here. He speaks of his death as really sort of a, a welcomed transition that was right around the corner that he knew in his life not too far off. And so we want to look at this this morning and see what we may learn from it for ourselves. Look with me, if you would, draw your attention back to verse 6, where Paul begins to speak about these things. He says, verse 6, For I am already being poured out he says as a drink offering in the time of my departure is at hand so notice paul senses that his death is near he can tell that his time is limited on this earth and he's about to enter into the eternal dimension so he uses now some metaphors to picture his current experience and how he saw himself at this stage notice first of all he views his life as an offering being poured out to the Lord as a sacrifice in worship under the Lord Jesus Christ. He illustrates his life there in the text by saying, I am already, he says, being poured out as a drink offering. Now, the drink offering was a voluntary offering given to the Lord, really just to show your love and your dedication to him. 
When we see the drink offering show up in the Old Testament, it was typically offered in addition to the required sacrifices or the mandatory offerings that the people were to give unto the Lord in their worship. So the the animal sacrifices themselves, as we see them, they were required to be given on the altar. But the drink offering, it seems, was then offered in addition to that sort of as a supplemental offering of devotion to the Lord, an extra way to honor the Lord at times. We see this even prior to the law of God being instituted with Jacob. It tells us in Genesis chapter 35 that Jacob has an encounter with God and God speaks to him and he gives Jacob tremendous promises. And as a result of that, in response to God and gratitude, it says, so Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he was where God had talked with him, a pillar of stone, and he poured out a drink offering on it, and he poured oil upon it. As you get into the law of God, when it's given the prescribed way to worship, we read as well of the drink offering. In Numbers chapter 15, we read regarding the drink offering, you shall bring as the drink offering half a hint of wine, an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. So what would happen in the drink offering as the altar was red hot, they would typically then pour out the contents of a vessel. It may be water, it might have been wine, it might have been oil, but they would pour out the contents of that vessel onto the red hot altar. And the effect of that, of course, was what would be expected as the contents of that vessel were poured out, it would be immediately sort of consumed and and vaporized. And just sort of the smoke and the sizzling effect of the liquid going on the hot altar would cause it to just radiate off and completely just be evaporated. But it also would bring forth a very usually pleasing fragrance as it would be poured out on the hot altar. And of course, this was intended to be a picture of pouring out your best unto the Lord in sacrifice and worship. It was a picture of sparing nothing and pouring out everything to please the Lord with your own life. It was intended to be an act of worship and a picture. And that's how Paul viewed his life, particularly as it came to a close, as a drink offering. Paul viewed his life as being poured out unto the Lord, all he had offered to Jesus. And as you look at Paul's life, Paul's life was a fitting example of someone who truly lived his life in devotion and dedication to the Lord. It was Paul who said in Romans 12 that we should all offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable unto the Lord. And this is how Paul lived out his days as a follower of Jesus, just pouring out of his life to bless the Lord to seek to honor and please Jesus. And and now he sees his life at the end and he kind of sees the final contents, if you would, the final contents of everything left within his being, his energy, his effort, his heart, his soul, all that he has just being poured out to the last dreg as this drink offering is poured out unto the Lord at the end of his life that is about to now really like that vapor when it was poured just to disappear as he entered into the eternal dimension. And I look at this and I think, what a beautiful analogy, what a beautiful picture the Bible gives to us of how we ought to live our lives as followers of Jesus. That we would live our life and let it be like a drink offering unto the Lord, just fully poured out completely for our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I think of the Lord himself as he came in his humanity. Jesus came as a man and what did he do? He poured out his life in servanthood. And in sacrifice, and even under the point of death, 
to show his love. Jesus poured out his blood as he suffered and died upon the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. And so now we, as a result, all to in gratitude and response, pour out our life unto the Lord, pouring out all that we have of our energy and our efforts and our time and everything of our being, just pouring it out to the Lord and saying, Lord, anything that I could pour out for you, it, it couldn't pale in comparison to what you poured out for me of your life, giving what you did for me, and that as a response, we would want to do the same for the Lord in return. And notice Paul, as well in verse 6, viewed his death in a picturesque way. He said of his death, verse 6 there in the text, that the time of my departure is at hand. He says, I'm already being poured out. I can tell it's about to, to finish being poured out my life. And he says, and now I can tell the time of my departure is at hand. Hand. The idea of the time is at hand means it's arrived. It's near. Paul could sense it was the season in his life for death. The death was knocking at the door. And it seems, it does it not as human beings, that we do seem to have this ability to almost kind of sense when death is on our doorway. We can almost sort of perceive in our humanity. I don't know if it's something God's wired within us when death is near and our time on earth is limited and we're about to enter the eternal dimension. And notice Paul refers to his death not as an end of everything, but look at the term he uses for it there in verse 6. He refers to his death as a departure. I like that. He doesn't refer to his death as the cessation of existence or the end of everything, he refers to his physical death as a departure. That is a departure from one, one realm that he might enter into another realm. Departing from this earth that he might enter into eternal life together with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's interesting even the term that Paul chooses to use there in the language, departure, that word, when you look at it in its original meanings, it was used in many different ways. One of the ways it was used, that word departure, was to describe the taking up of an anchor so that a ship could set sail out into the open seas. In other words, when a ship is built, it never experiences its true purpose and intention, right? You can build it and build it and build it, but until you finally take up the anchor and let it sail loose out into the great open seas, it's never experienced its full potential. And that's the term that Paul uses there as he describes a departure, the, the taking up of the anchor so that the ship could set sail. It's also a term that was used as well to refer to the taking down of a tent in order to depart and to move on to a new location. It was also used at time in the Greek language to refer to the setting of a prisoner free from a jail cell and as well also used for the description of unyoking an ox from its heavy labors so that it might then enter into a time and a season of rest. And I think, man, what a marvelous word to be used because what beautiful analogies all those things are of really the death process for the believer. It's the time where after a long season of time we've been anchored to this earth, living in this fleshly body, and finally when death comes for the believer, the anchor is lifted and we set sail and we truly experience what we were intended for, which is to be in the presence of God. The Bible refers to our bodies, our physical frame, like a tent. And that the, the tent is not a permanent dwelling. It's a temporary dwelling. And tents fall apart. And they wear out easily. And the Bible says our bodies like a tent. From the day you've been born, you've been dying. 
From the day that you've lived, your tent has had a temporary purpose, but it's wearing out and it continues to fall apart and wear out. It's what the human body does. But the Bible says that, that yet there is a building of God, an eternal, perfect, glorified, healthy body in heaven that God's prepared for you that you'll enjoy for all of eternity when you are released from this tent. When your tent is taken down, the tent is set aside and you move on into your eternal dwelling. Again, the same analogy, like a prisoner being set free from a jail cell. I have been with people many, many, many times, more than I'd like to describe over the years, and have watched people come you know, through their dying days and their bodies riddled with cancer, and, and you're seeing them there and their families around them, and you, you almost begin to have this sense, and perhaps you've experienced this in your own you know, family lives, where you begin to see your sick loved one, and the body almost becomes like a prison cell for them. And you know they're right with Jesus and, and you find yourself almost saying like, Lord, set them free. Just, just set them free from that body, Lord. It's like a prison cell. Set their spirit free that they can come and be in your presence. And all of these analogies, just so beautiful. The unyoking of an ox. Again, no more struggles in this life entering into the rest of the Lord. Again, that is what death is for the believer. It's simply a departure. It's a departure from this dimension to enter into the eternal destiny with our Lord. It's a glorious transition set free from struggles of this life and entering into the glory and the rest of the Lord. Paul, interesting in Philippians 1, said a very similar thing. Paul there declared Philippians 1. He says, I have a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. So Paul, expressing that desire as a believer, there's a desire within me as a believer that I long to depart. I look forward to the day when I can just depart and move out of this tent. And notice when Paul spoke about death, he said to depart and be with Christ. No interim phase. To depart is to be with Christ. The Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord instantaneously for the believer. And he says, I depart, desire to depart and to be with Christ. And then he says, which is far better. And, and, and who would say, amen to that? <laughs> far better. And I imagine that doesn't have the amen to it until you truly depart from this body and you open your eyes in the presence of the Lord and you go, yeah, far better, Lord. This is far better than what I was living the last 50, 60, you know, 80 years on the earth. This is far better. And that's why Paul would say in that same chapter, so for now he says, for me to live as Christ and to die is gain. And so you can't say that unless you live for Christ. It's only the person who truly lives for Christ that can say, because I live for Christ, I don't lose anything when I die. I gain everything when I die. I gain everything I live my whole life for and what Jesus has for me. So this is the glorious hope and the encouragement for the follower of Jesus Christ. Death is not a terrifying enemy to the Christian. It is just a tool that God uses for us to transition, to depart and to enter into the presence of the Lord. Paul says, my departure is at hand. My question to you would be this this morning is the most critical thing to evaluate yourself is, are you ready for your personal departure? Because you are going to depart. No matter how much you eat organic and juice and exercise and do everything you want, and you're free to spend your money and time however you want. You are going to depart. And no one knows the day or the hour. That is an appointment you cannot skip. You cannot cancel that appointment. You are going to depart. We are all going to depart. And the only one that knows that hour 
is the Lord. So listen, it's an appointment you have to keep, but it's an appointment that you don't know the hour of. You don't know the day of. That's why it is critical to know, are you ready to depart? And the way to know that you are ready to depart is to make sure you are entered into a right relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Because Romans 6.23 says, the wages of our sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. That is, we will all depart, but we will either end up entering into the eternal dimension of hell and damnation and suffering, or we will enter into heaven in the presence of the Lord. There are only two options, and you and I get to choose where we go. The problem is the Bible says the wages of our sin is death. What we all do, which is sin, we all fail and make mistakes. That's why there's a level of guilt in every person. That guilt from sin, God causes it to be there. So we realize, look, there's a payment for our sin. It's punishment. We deserve. We've sinned against a holy God. But the good news is there's a gift that God has given. And it's eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. God loved us. He didn't want us to suffer for our sins. So God lovingly sent Jesus to live the sinless life that we can't live. And then he died the sacrificial death for us being punished in our place to take the penalty and the punishment we deserve for our sins so that we could be released, so that we could be forgiven and freed from that and that we could have access to heaven through Jesus who can save us and forgive us through the shed blood of his cross. He can cleanse our sin. And he can forgive us and give us a right relationship with God. And the Bible says it's a gift, the gift of God. It's eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. But again, that gift is through Jesus. Jesus said in John 10, I am the door. Whoever enters by me will be saved. Jesus said in John 14, I am the way. There's no mistake of the clarity in the word of God. The only way, the only doorway to enter into the presence of the Lord is through Jesus. It's not through a church, it's not through a priest or pastor or religious efforts and activity. It is through a relationship with Jesus Christ and receiving that free gift that he offers by saying, Lord, I'm a sinner. You are the Savior. Would you save me? Would you forgive me? Lord, I want to be forgiven. I want eternal life. I want to know that when I depart, I'm ready to depart from this life. We encourage you to do that this day if that's not happened in your life yet. Well, let's move on. Paul says, verse 7, there having spoken about his departure it calls Paul to reflect notice because Paul reflects now on how he lived he says verse 7 I fought the good fight I finish the race and I've kept the faith so Paul can look back with a sense of satisfaction and fulfillment as he reflected back on his life knowing his death was coming close he says I finished well I've remained faithful and look that ought to be the desire and goal of every one of us not just to start well, to finish well. You know, I believe it was just this last Wednesday night. I, I, I made a similar statement. It, it, it's, it's easy to start well. It's finishing that's the tough part. Lots of people start marathons, start races, start diet. It's finishing, right? Starting's easy. It's finishing well that matters. In the same way, listen, be encouraged. Let's say you started out really bad. Let's say you, your start was horrible. You can still finish well. You can finish well and cross the line with a sense of satisfaction and fulfillment like Paul where you say, I finished the race. I, I kept the faith. I, you know, I, I did, Lord, what you asked me to do. I like how Paul in verse 7 here, notice he views the Christian life like a fight worth engaging in and a race that is worth running all the way to the end. Look at him there in verse 7 where he says, first of all, he says, I fought the good fight. 
I fought the good fight. I think emphasis should be on good. Be, because listen, there are a lot of times so many things in this world and in this life that are not worth fighting about. Perhaps you just did that last week. And what did I fight over that for? What did I fight for that for? It didn't, well, it didn't even matter. In comp- all, and, and there are so many things that we engage in and that we fight over and we fight to obtain that are so worthless. But listen, God is saying to us, there is a good fight. There's something worth giving your effort and your energy, your absolute best to, and that is fighting for the things of the Lord, for His will, for His purposes, for what His plans are, and fighting against sin and evil. For these things, look, for these things, it's worth having courage to step into the ring. For those kind of things, it's worth giving your best to and engaging in battle sometimes and even taking a few personal hits for It's those things it's worth going a few more rounds and giving your best effort to. A Christian should not be someone who starts fights. A Christian should not be someone who's a quarrelsome person. That being said, a Christian also should not be passive and cowardly when it comes to fighting about what matters and fighting the good fight to honor Jesus to please the Lord, to stand up for righteousness. We should have a fighting spirit and be determined to want to see the Lord triumph. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, Timothy, he said, fight the good fight. Paul says, I fought it, but then he says to Timothy, now you fight the good fight. It's your turn. You fight the good fight in your life. That is commit and prepare and fight for what matters to the Lord. We should fight to overcome sin. If you're struggling with sin in your life, look, the Lord is gracious. He's provided the power of His Spirit and all the resources. But bottom line is this. Look, fight to overcome sin. Don't just give in. Well, I guess this will just always be. No, it doesn't have to always be like that. Jesus broke the power of sin. Fight to overcome sin. The Bible says that sin shall not have dominion over you. Don't let sin reign over you. It doesn't have to. Romans 6, 7, and 8 say that victory is available. You can win that fight through the power of Jesus Christ. Fight for souls. Fight for people who don't know Jesus Christ. In prayer, labor and love them and speak the gospel. Fight for souls. Fight for you know what, what matters for people. Fight for relationships. Fight for your marriage. Fight for your children. Fight for those things that are crucial and essential and what matters to the Lord. Fight for what's God's will. Don't be a a coward and passively just give in when the devil attacks or, you know, sin just begins. Look, stand up and fight for those things. These are things that are a good fight and worthy. And Paul says, I did this. I fought the good fight. And listen, because Paul could say, I fought the good fight, he could face death with no regrets. And Paul could say, I fought the good fight, man. I'm ready. I'm done. I fought the fight Why I was in it. How fulfilling to be able to face death's approaching doorway and say, I fought the good fight. To be able to say, I may not have won every round, but I never stopped fighting. Might have lost a round or two here or there, but I I always got back up, kept swinging. And you know what? This morning, let me encourage you. It's a good fight. Don't give up. Fight for what pleases the Lord. Fight for what matters for the kingdom of God. Don't back down. The Lord is with you. Man, you got a, somebody fantastic in your corner. The Lord's with you. 
God is for you. Fight for what matters. Fight the good fight. Paul says as well, secondly, I finished the race. Again, Paul saw his Christian life as a race to be run, a course to be stayed on until it was finished. Now, again, as Paul uses his language, he wasn't competing against others as we would in a race typically. Paul just saw that everybody has their own separate lane. Everybody's been given their own course to run. And so everybody has a responsibility to follow the course that's been assigned to them by the Lord and to simply exercise perseverance and devotion and dedication until you cross your own finish line. That you run the race, that you finish the race. How Paul viewed his life in this way, I think, is what drove Paul. This is what directed his decisions. This is what guided what he did and what he didn't do as a human being. It's what got him up in the morning. Paul said, I need to finish. Whatever it takes, I'm finishing. I can't control what the people in the lane next to me are doing, but what I can do is run my race. And I'm going to finish. And whatever it takes, I'm going to finish my race. I love Paul's statement in Acts chapter 20 where he says, I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except the Holy Spirit testifies in every city that chains and tribulations await me. That would make most people turn around and run the other way problems are ahead Paul but Paul said this but none of these things move me nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy in the ministry which I've received from the Lord Jesus Paul said yes there's times I get a cramp when I'm running there's times I don't feel like running there's times I hit the wall there's times there's obstacles there's times I've fallen and skinned my knee but Paul says none of these things move me I'm going to continue to run my race, stay in my lane until I cross the finish line. And I think in some ways I can resonate with Paul that he's thinking, look, that's not real complicated. That I can do. This lane, okay, right there. Just that lane that's... and, And listen, for all of us, this is what the Lord desires for us, that we would realize we have a race to run. And we wouldn't flounder around following this detour and that exit ramp and all these things, but that we would purpose and aim to do what pleases the Lord. Paul says, 1 Corinthians 9, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize, run in such a way that you obtain it? In other words, you have a race to run too, so do I. And he says, don't run like somebody who doesn't care whether they finish or not. You know, how weird would it be to see somebody start a race and then they go over, they sit down, they have a snack and then they do something else and they're... And and you're thinking, what what are you doing? Run. If you're going to run, run to win. Right? If you're going to... Why get in the race if you're not going to run to win? And Paul said, have that attitude. Run in such a way that you're not aimlessly just kind of floundering around but that with purpose and intention... You say, look, if I'm going to run the race and I'm going to live for Jesus, I'm going to live for Jesus. And I'm going to run the race. And I'm going to run in such a way that I might cross that victory line with a sense of fulfillment. Paul says as well, verse 7 there as well, I've kept the faith. That is, he remained personally committed to Jesus, dependent upon the Lord his whole life. He didn't turn away. He kept the faith. Even when it was difficult and not easy, as I'm sure it was at times, he kept believing and trusting in Jesus. I think Paul means there as well that he worked to preserve the Christian faith, the authentic New Testament faith and gospel. Despite false teaching and other things, Paul said, look, others may be drawing this way. Some churches may be going that way, but I'm committed to keep the faith. I'm going to keep the faith. 
that the word of God is given to us once handed over to the saints and, and he guarded that zealously. And how wonderful is it, would it not be to, again, live the, the life that you live out on this earth with purpose and, and to kind of have a sense at the end where you can say, I held the line spiritually. I kept the faith. Sometimes it wasn't easy to follow Jesus, but I held the line and I kept the faith and I stood on track and I finished my race and I did that which pleased the Lord until the very end. Well, look, when you fought a good fight and finished the race and kept the faith, your heart yearns for the reward on the end. That's why Paul closes in verse eight by saying, finally, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge will give to me on that day and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So look, Paul's looking forward with confident expectation now to the coming reward on the other side of the doorway of physical death. Paul saw the Lord Jesus, it says verse 8 there, he saw the Lord Jesus as a righteous judge who would give him a crown of righteousness. And the picture there Paul uses is athletic language of the, receiving the victor's crown after you had run your race well in the Greek games that existed in that day. As an athlete, you would purpose and discipline yourself and observe the rules and give your best. And all of that was because there was a reward. And so everything that you did, it was, there's a reward. If I, if I commit myself to this, there is a reward. And the judges would sit and observe the games as the competitors would fulfill their different events and the judges would observe and then at the end when you had run your race and crossed the finish line and were victorious the judges then you would appear before the judges and they would then openly reward you with the victor's crown it was usually just a a, a reef of leaves but it was this incredible honor to receive the victor's crown from the judges at the end of your competition at the end of your giving your best in your event and that experience brought great fulfillment and satisfaction the athlete longed for the experience of the fulfillment of receiving the reward crossing the line and receiving that reward and at the end of a believer's life on earth the bible says we're going to appear before the judgment seat of jesus our soul has already been saved by the lord but we're going to be evaluated for how we faithfully serve and how we ran our race as a Christian to be rewarded by the Lord Jesus is a righteous judge Paul says and he's going to make sure to reward everybody adequately and faithfully Jesus says this in Revelation 22 I'm coming quickly and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work see there is eternal reward the Bible says that's going to be given in a form of an eternal crown that is being crowned because you lived right you lived well a crown of righteousness. James refers to it this way in James 1. Blessed is the man who endures temptation for when he's been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to all those who love him. And this is the heart of Paul here. As he comes to the closure of his life, as he stands at the doorway of death, he says, there's coming a time soon, he says, when I'm going to stand before the Lord and he's going to give me the crown of righteousness. He's going to reward me. Paul says very soon on that glorious day when I stand before Jesus, all that I did and all that I sacrificed and all that I gave and all that I poured myself into and he says, it's going to be worth it. There's going to be no disappointment. 
It's going to be worth it as I stand before the Lord and he gives me this crown of righteousness for running and finishing. And he says, I'm going to hear the Lord personally congratulate me. Well done, good and faithful servant. You fought the fight. You kept the faith. You finished the race. You ran well. And Paul wants to encourage Timothy and for that matter, all believers. That's why he says at the end of the verse, he says, this isn't just for me as an apostle. He says, and not to me only, verse 8, but also to all who have loved his appearing. To all, he says, one translation says, this prize is not just for me, but all who eagerly look forward to his glorious return. See, this should be the heart of every follower of Jesus Christ, eagerly looking for the return of the Lord that day, that glorious day when we're going to stand before him face to face. And the Lord is going to reward us personally for our faithfulness to him as a follower and a Christian. Look, this morning, it is not about not about being Billy Graham. It's not about being a famous apostle or pastor. It's about being personally faithful to the Lord in your life, running your race, finishing your race. 1 Corinthians 3 says, He who plants and he who waters are one, but each one will receive his own reward for his labor. Each one. Hey, let me exhort you this morning. Fight for what matters, for what's eternal. Don't give up. You know, if I could, if we were talking face to face, let me grab your chin and look you into the eyes. Fight for it. Fight for it. Yeah, you're tired. Everybody gets tired. Don't grow weary in well-doing. Keep running. Just keep putting one foot in front of the other until you cross the finish line. And the wonderful thing is there will be no disappointment. This life seems so important and pressing, but listen, it's what's eternal that matters. Revelation 4 says that around the throne of God when we're in the presence of the Lord, do you know what they're doing? They're casting crowns before the presence of Jesus in worship saying you are worthy O Lord to receive glory and honor in eternity nobody's distracted by all the stuff of this world and what matters so much everybody is consumed with Jesus and worshiping the Lord today I encourage you ask the Lord help you to live in such a way that when death comes you have no regrets ask the Lord to do that in your heart today Today, ask the Lord, stamp eternity over my heart and over my eyes, Lord, that I would live in a way that I would be looking forward to what I was truly created for. Let's stand. Let's pray together.